Conversations with the inspiring minds. Using design and creativity towards social change. This is Design for the People with Greg Bunbury. Hello and welcome to Design for the People. I'm your host, Greg Bunbury, and on this show, I'll be speaking to the designers, artists, creative thinkers and activists using their skills to tackle social issues, uplift communities and make a difference in the world. For those watching on YouTube, if you're enjoying this content, please be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. It really helps grow our audience and amplifies our guests. Before introducing today's interview, I'd like to begin with a short story. A couple weeks back, I found myself queuing outside a supermarket on a cold Saturday afternoon. The queue resulting from COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. While standing there, my eye caught a small poster on the side of a building. It was just an A4 piece of paper which looked like it had been fly-posted to the wall. No image or logo, it just had one large paragraph of copy. Here's what the copy said. You came over looking the happiest I had ever seen you. I asked how you were doing and you said good because you felt like tonight was going to be the night when all this was worth it. The night when you would run and get on a lorry and the police wouldn't see you and you would make it to the UK. Below the copy, there was a single Instagram tag, Conversations from Calais. I took a picture and later discovered that the poster was part of a wider campaign documenting actual conversations between migrants and volunteers in Calais, France. Calais is a port city in the north of France, right across from Dover in the south of England. It's where the refugee jungle used to be until it was removed by French authorities a few years back. But it still homes around 1,500 displaced people trying to get to the UK to seek asylum. The situation further challenged by growing racism, xenophobia and anti-immigrant sentiment in the UK and across the world. The Conversations from Calais project aims to rehumanize those affected by the refugee crisis by using public space to share conversations volunteer staff have had with migrants and is the brainchild of today's guest, graphic designer and illustrator Matilda Delatore. Matilda co-founded On The Mend, a design studio that targets social inequalities in the UK healthcare system and is a graphics coordinator at Migrants Brewer. She uses her practice to look closer for longer, to bring people together through creative exchanges and to place marginalised voices at the centre of our stories. Matilda, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. What a good introduction. Thanks. It took a couple of tries to get it right, but there's just so much to get through and I was so blown away by the post that I had seen. Um, I wanted to be able to share that so everybody who's listening on audio platforms can get a sense of how emotive and just amazing the work is. Thank you. Yeah, it's so interesting to actually hear. I mean, I put a lot of these posters up, but I don't really know when people see them or how what happens once kind of once I put them up that's it they're out in the world they're kind of out of my control so it's really nice to have a conversation with someone that was on the receiving end of of the poster <laughs> amazing um can you tell us a little bit about how the project started yeah of course I mean you gave it a perfect introduction that's probably the best anyone has ever introduced <laughs> it but um I guess so the project started um after a few years of me going back and forth to Calais so I'm based in London but I'm French um and in kind of I started a master's that I now finished so two years and a half ago 
And I, before starting my master's, I had some, some time off, um, and I didn't really know what to do. And my mom and I decided that we would go to Calais kind of on a whim to volunteer, bring some kind of donations we had gathered and, uh, understand a bit more of, of what was going on there. And from the first time I went there, I, I kept going back whenever I had time off from my master's and I always thought, it's not possible that what I'm experiencing here and the conversations are, I'm having are the same as what is being portrayed in the media. It's a different world. Everything is so different. I don't understand how this is happening. Mm. And this led to so much frustration because this was also kind of... So I went after the jungle, as you explained, was dismantled, but it's there's still a huge camp there. There was a huge camp there and there's still... Um, it's less of an official camp, but there's kind of different uh, parts of northern France around Kelly and Dunkirk and Coquel that have groups of tents and people kind of finding shelter wherever they can on the side of uh, highways under any kind of foresty area, anything like that. Right. So I felt so frustrated and I wanted to find a way to show what I was experiencing there and how different it was to what I was reading on the media or to what politicians were saying in the UK. And after a lot of kind of time spent thinking about how I could express what I, what I saw there and what I heard and what I talked about, I decided that actually the simplest way to do this was literally to just write down the conversations that I'd had with some of the people I met there. And I started writing down, looking down and looking back on diaries and notes that I had taken and drawings from when I was there. And I quickly realized that, you know, the easiest way to get these stories out would be to paste them up on a wall uh, in public space. That's kind of, it was cheap. It was easy. All I needed was a printer to make some glue at home. And I didn't have to go through censorship, through curators, through anything like that. So I could really put out what I wanted to put out. And then, yeah, that's how it started. And it's the, the kind of the idea of it hasn't changed. Mm. Um, it's still, you know, volunteers. It started just with my conversations, but is now um, lots of other volunteers conversations that they've had there. And they're being pasted up um, around the world. So it hasn't Amazing. changed. The process hasn't changed. That's great. Uh, I think one of the really uh, standout takeaways for me um, from that story is that too often when creatives are moved by social issues, um, there seems to be a tendency to wait for clients to action work, the kind of work that we want to be doing. So we look for clients to get involved with and we look as though we're waiting for the direction to come from the client or for the perfect client to come along. Whereas you've just taken the initiative and just done it and cut out all of the, the ideas of approval and sign off and funding and budget. You've just found the most economical way to do it. And it scales because it's so simple, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think you know, as um, I was a student when I started this project, so I did have more freedom allowed and I was allowing myself to be quite free with the work that I was creating. And that was definitely kind of uh, an advantage that I had. And at the same time, I think you're right that I was always looking for people to contact to work on projects with and trying to, I guess, create those contacts myself to then create bigger projects. But I realized that it wouldn't, 
I would never be able to create something exactly like I wanted it. Um, but I, what I do want to mention is that the process took me a really long time. I was volunteering in Kelly on and off for two years before starting this project. So sometimes I also feel like, you know, we're also shown these projects, especially when they're on social media that are quite refined and are very effective and simple. But to come up with such a simple idea, because it is very simple, it took me years. It took me so yeah. long to try and think of something that I thought would have a purpose, have an impact, but also be really kind of um, dignifying to the people's voices that I was that I was sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. And the other point that I think is worth mentioning as well is something another designer um, had spoken to me about is this idea of emotional labor. So even though we see these projects and they seem really simple and they seem like, uh, I don't want to use the word easy, but they seem like it's a straightforward process to do it. You're actually taking on that emotional labor by being there and being present and being a witness to everything that's going on and taking on these stories, which are really emotional and, you know, they're really impactful. So there's an element to that as well, that, you know, even though it seems like it's a quite a, a straightforward idea, there's actually a lot of emotional labor involved. Yeah, that's so interesting. You brought that up. I don't think anyone has ever phrased it in that way that I've come across, but that's so true. I really that really resonates. And I think this whole project, um, whenever I guess you do kind of social projects or looked at, so look at social issues, inequalities, there is always going to be an emotional labor, especially when it comes from lived experience. So something that I think comes across in a lot of the posters that I always, um, come back to and that gets repeated so much it's this feeling of feeling so useless as a volunteer and feeling like everything you're trying to do is never going to be enough and I think that's something that I felt as a volunteer there and that I know a lot of people have felt as well but it's also something that um, I felt as a designer working on this project you know it's I'm putting out these posters but what is the actual impact I'm creating and the way the as you said, the government, the UK government's politics and mindset is going is the opposite direction to what I'm trying to aim with the project. Mm. So it's also the emotional labor of like the impact that you're trying to have. And when you are having an impact, but maybe on people that are already aware of the situation or already kind of on your side, for yeah. lack of a better expression. Um, so that's, I think, something huge as well and something that I find quite difficult to mm. um, to to deal with, but it's something I'm trying to really work on in order to use that as a way to push myself to keep going and find different ways to, for the project to have a bigger impact. Yeah, yeah. Would you say this idea of creating empathy and humanizing these stories is your ultimate objective with the campaign? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that I never wanted to do with the project is I'm not here telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you to donate to a charity. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you information like the media is. It's just that I'm giving you information that comes from people that are literally living on the ground and really seeing what a situation is like. And that inherently is going to be humanizing but because it's just showing you human to human conversations and they're as 
kind of minimally edited as possible. Mm. So the idea is always to, yeah, show the human side of this so-called refugee crisis that we've heard and seen photos of so much, but that we're not able to, I think, to really to tackle or to, it, it feels too big mm. um, to, to tackle and to take on. So the idea, yeah, like you said, it was always to humanize. And then what I'm hoping is once you've seen that human side, is you say, okay, something needs to change here. What can I do in my daily life to help and to support people that are not being welcome in the country? I don't think enough. Mm. Um, so that's always been at the core and will, will always be. And how does it feel when you see this work being replicated in cities across the world and so many people connecting with these stories on just a real, uh, on a real, uh, I guess, human level? Honestly, I never thought it would happen. I started this project in uni and I, I did it because it, it was so in a selfish way. I needed to get these conversations out of my chest and I needed to do it for myself. Um, and then things kind of escalated from there in a way that I didn't expect. And one of the things I always say is one of the favorite, one of my favorite aspects of the project is that it became so collaborative without me thinking it would be. Um, so in the way that people are translating the posters in the way that people are printing them and pasting them in their own cities and sharing them in social media. And that whole community side of it is something that I hadn't planned for, but that I'm so grateful and glad it has because that is what's kind of enabled for the project to have a bigger impact or bigger reach. So it feels incredible. And it also gives me a bit of hope I guess that you know we are empathetic and we are attracted to human stories that are not only about tragedy that are not only about kind of you know the one you read at the beginning is it in a way it's quite similar to what we hear in the media it's about someone you know trying and giving up everything or risking their all to be able to cross the channel and we hear some of that but we don't hear those conversations that are about, you know, the kind of color hoodie that someone wants because they're so sick of having no choice in what they wear or what they eat for years and years because since when they left home. Um, so when I see that people resonate with conversations that are about little things, you, I think it brings people together and they realize how close and similar um, we are and how you can relate to someone on so many different levels. And hopefully that breaks that barrier of, you know, a refugee is a refugee when no, being a refugee is just a part of your life, like being a student or being mm. an employee or whatever it is. It doesn't define you at all. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, what I love about it as well is that you've put the, uh, the content as the focus. So you haven't like put a logo on it and then put your name on it and then like a bunch of URLs on it and then a sponsor logo. It's just about the content. It's just about that connection. And that really brings a sense of authenticity to it because it's clear that this is uh, something that you're doing based on connection rather than any sort of kind of cross selling. And obviously, you know, I understand that uh, there are promotions and campaigns out there that have to exist with sponsorship and that have to exist with uh, partnerships and the like. 
but I think in the way that you've done it, it gives it such a, a stark authenticity and a plainness to it that it's just like anybody across the world can connect with it and do the same thing, which I think is really admirable. Um, what, uh, how did your career lead up to this? I mean, I guess you started in university, but had you had your work up to that point always had a social focus with these issues that you were always thinking about? No, not at all. So I started um, right after um, graduating from from high school. I did a BA in illustration at Camberwell um, here in London. And I mainly worked on printmaking, very 2D work, much more yet yeah, illustrative um, imagery. And when I was there, I was not bothered at all about anything to do with social anything um it was just not my thing um but I think well the main project that I worked on in in my last year there was about the sense of home and I think I've always been very attracted and very inspired by projects or work that kind of focuses that idea on what is home and how do we define home and this thing of migration and movement and um, how we relate to the spaces that we're in. So it was very different work, both conceptually and aesthetically, but it did have that kind of idea of bringing emotions out and talking about emotions that related to the idea of home. Oh. And then once I finished um, that uh, of course, I, uh, I did some, some internships as a graphic designer, which had nothing to do with any of this. And then I, um, I went on to do a master's in graphic design, um, at, uh, Central St. Martins. And I, from when I was there, I was again looking more into migration and more into the movement of people. And that's when I think I really started to realize that I was interested in the social inequalities and all of the problematics that come with um, migration. At the same time, that's also when you briefly mentioned at the beginning, that's when I started working um on building, creating this studio called On The Mend, which kind of looks at, yeah, healthcare inequalities in the healthcare system in the UK. So I think a lot of things were starting to, to develop, but I was trying a lot of different things because I didn't really know where, where my place would be. And I, it was only really during the last phase of my master's I graduated during COVID, so it was all not as planned and very different. But um, that's when I really realized that what I wanted to do was use my practice for a social purpose and to really bring people together and see how I could especially kind of um, talk about, you know, marginalized voices and bring them into a conversation through design and through my practice. And that's when, yeah, things started fitting together. And I was, I think I was, I then graduated and I was looking for a job and I was told a lot that my work was not commercial enough and that it was, it wasn't, it wasn't what was going to sell. And I came out with a, a, a portfolio that I, that wasn't finished, to be honest, because I wasn't able to work on the projects that I wanted to for the last kind of four months of my MA. Um, and I guess the biggest thing that I had was this conversations from Kelly um, project, but 
that felt strong and felt important. And it, I knew it was something I wanted to continue, but it, 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 like you said, you know, it doesn't work for a partnership and you couldn't really, if you show that to a graphic design studio, a lot of them are not going to see the value in it. Um, so yeah, I guess to answer your question, that was a very long answer, but no, my work has definitely not at all always been about social inequalities, but it developed, um, through my studies. And how has that perspective changed your life in terms of your day to day? Um, I know, uh, some people from France who have, uh, discussed with me how tense the migrant situation and the general xenophobia is in France, uh, maybe in a way that's slightly different from the UK, maybe a way that's maybe more overt and more in your face. Um, so how's the, your perspective developed in doing that work? Has it kind of changed your life or do you just see it as this is just the, the focus for your, your work or your vehicle for your work? It's changed so much. I don't see, I don't see myself doing anything else, but kind of working, um, in a sector for now, never say never that, um, defends migrant rights. Uh, I just don't see anything that is as important right now for me. So it's changed so much. I think what you mentioned about the different difference in France and the UK, I've lived in the UK for six years now, almost. So I feel like I, you know, I go back to France to see family and all of that, but I've kind of really grown here and the work that I produce is here. So I, I don't know the difference between France and the UK too much, but I think that for sure this work has shaped me and has also opened me up to so many conversations around social injustices that I wouldn't, I don't think I would be asking myself and I wouldn't be having had I not kind of decided that I wanted to move my practice into this direction. Um, and also, I mean, I don't know, but I think, you know, some, it's not, I guess the sector that I, that I work in now, it's not really a sector that you can close your laptop at 5 PM and call it a day. Right. Um, and I don't want it to be, I'm so, um, passionate about what I'm doing, um, and what I want to do. And I think that it's difficult, at least for me. Um, and it can be a huge limitation to get detached from what you're doing. Mm. So I think in a way, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm so passionate about and it, and it really mixes my personal and professional life, but for now it works and I'm super happy for it to be doing that. And I think I've grown so much as a person from it doing that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, as a designer who has spent a lot of time in commercial environments, it's very easy to close your laptop after doing car adverts for a week and just click and then you're gone. Uh, but with this work, obviously it involves so much of you and your emotions and your perspectives between your work on conversations from Calais, uh, migrants bureau and on the mend, what do you do to kind of, to recharge yourself? Because you're taking on a lot of information, and you're dealing with a lot of issues and trying to address a lot of issues in your work, which I imagine must be overwhelming at times. So what's mm. your process to kind of decompress from that? 
Yeah, I think um, that's a really good point also because I think that um, a freelance designer career is sometimes really romanticized. And I think we see it as something that, you know, allows you a lot of freedom and stuff. And I realized that, you know, I couldn't be doing it right now. And it wasn't, it wasn't what I, what I wanted. So I'm now working for full time for a charity called Choose Love, Help Refugees, who, um, yeah, work around migration and refugee rights. And then the other things I do on the side. And I'm definitely learning. I've, it's only been a few months, but I'm learning to now prioritize and say no to things. And first of all, kind of, yeah, decide where my priorities really lie. And although I am working for kind of freelancer for different organizations right now, I'm really focusing on kind of my full time job and conversations from Kelly and developing that. Um, it's not easy. Uh, I think, you know, I spend a lot of like evenings and weekends working. Um, as I said, I'm happy to be doing it right now, but it, I know it's not sustainable on the long run. Sure. And what I do to disconnect, um, which is why this lockdown is really making me struggle by now is, um, people. I have such a strong support network and I have such great people in my life from, uni and from work and from other experiences and spending time with family and friends and talking about things that have nothing to do with Kelly or any kind of yeah social issue or anything like that is my way to recharge um and I think that's made this lockdown this third one quite quite something I have to say I feel like I'm (laughs) reaching a point now um But yeah, being around people. And I think the second thing I would say is um, I'm trying to still kind of find time to draw and create just for the sake of it. Um, Mm. So I've been making little ceramic dishes to put like candles in and jewelry and that kind of thing. And it's it's I'm bad at it and it's you know it's not great but it's fun and it's making my hands do things because there's something else that I love making and I love creating but when it turns into your career then it feels like everything is just you know a bit exhausting I'm sure you feel this way um so finding ways to just draw for the sake of it and just make something because you find it beautiful there's so much value in that as well um And it's not because it's not trying to change the world that it's it's not serving me. So that's been um, something I've been doing more and more. Um, yeah. And yeah. So it's a form of meditation, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Do you find that as well? Yeah, you kind of get into a flow state and then your brain, yeah. you're present in the moment, but you're not actively thinking about what you're doing. You're just in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's super valuable. Uh, advice for anybody who's doing the same in terms of because I know there's a lot of um, students that uh, follow this podcast and what would your advice be to anybody who was looking to be either more socially focused in terms of their work or to pivot into more socially focused work would it be for example to do as you did and just kind of get involved because you know your Mm -hmm. experience is firsthand and that's quite unique. Like you've actually gone down there and experienced the situation for yourself mm. as opposed to uh, some of us just kind of going based on the news or going through media or, mm-hmm. or going through books. 
So I would say, yeah, I would say two things. The first thing is to work on projects that, you know, are socially focused, if you want to do that, but that you are passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I feel very passionate um, and interested in the climate emergency that we're in. And I think it's super problematic and we need to be doing more. But I'm not creating work about it because I don't have that kind of it doesn't spark, it sounds so cheesy, but it doesn't kind of light that thing in me that tells me I want to be making work about that. And I have something yeah. to add that is different to what it's out there. So find something that really resonates with you for whatever reason that is. That's the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing is, I guess what you brought up before is don't wait for opportunities to come. You know, I, it's, it's not how, Unfortunately, especially with social driven work, it's not really how things go. It's not where most of the money is at the mm -hmm. moment. Hopefully we're changing that. Um, so just do the work that you want to be doing and keep going at it. And it will reach people if it has that power to create an impact. And then this, the third piece of advice, I guess I would give, and which I think is the most important is I think that as designers, no matter what the project is, we sometimes really focus on our voice and how mm. to visually represent that or how to work that in a way that, you know, it, it helps frame issues differently or portray voices in a specific way. And I think actually so much of the work that I've been trying to do and that I think um, I need to keep doing is about amplifying the work, voice of others. And by doing that, I'm actually getting kind of quietening down my voice and mm. thinking about how not to over design something you know I spent so long to give a really concrete example trying to find ways to make these posters work aesthetically and also use imagery and also use ways that I thought had to be kind of extra designed but sometimes mm. stripping it back to the basics whatever that means in the context is so important and makes the work even more powerful and I think you can do that once you're really listening and once you're really learning about whatever you want to communicate about. At the end of the day, being a designer is communicating something to me in a way that, you know, resonates with people and is easier um, or more impactful for people to digest. So if you can really listen um, and then use your voice to frame something, but not over overpower it. Does that make sense? That's amazing. That's really, really, um, that's wisdom beyond your years that's amazing advice <laughs> like oh, you know it, for some of us that take decades to develop those kinds of sensibilities and so the fact that you're so young and you've already got such a great handle on this is really amazing thank you thank you so much i think it's also from being in art school for so long and being told the opposite, I was like, no, something is something is wrong here. Something is not working for me. Um, so, yeah, nah, I guess. Yeah. Just from <laughs> really great insights. Uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you. My thanks for Matilda for joining me today. Her work serves as a great example of how we can use creativity to humanize social issues and deepen our empathy. You can explore more of conversations from Calais. Um, and including ways to support this amazing work at conversationsfromcalais.com all one word and calais is spelt c-a-l-a-i-s 
you can also follow Matilda on Instagram at Matilda Della Torre or at We Are On The Mend also on Instagram. You can also find these show links um, in the show notes or the full episode page, which is at bunbury.co forward slash podcast. That's B-U-N-B-U-R-Y dot C-O forward slash podcast. Uh, my thanks again to Matilda for joining us and join me again next week for more inspiring conversations with creatives. Uh, thank you again, Matilda. Thank you so much. <laughs> Excellent. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Design for the People with Greg Bunbury.